Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Child experts are also weighing in saying graphic images and mature subject matter harms young minds. Imagine your 11-year-old child or grandchild reading this. A familiar school board scene playing out across the country. So not only do you have to be talented, long-lasting, multiple, but you have to be okay, a sexy 18-year-old. An uncomfortable crowd cringing. Do you think you have to? People Wait, this is in our schools. Our kids are reading this, and you're going to tell me I can't read it to you because it's inappropriate? It's being broadcast. Everybody. As steamy excerpts are read aloud from books now available in public schools. Teenage girl getting raped. And this is available for 11-year-olds. Parents accusing educators of exposing their children to X-rated material. Protect our children or get out of the way. I think it's been hidden from a lot of parents. Shutdowns allowed parents to actually see and hear some of the content that was um, being discussed in in classrooms. That content includes books like Gender Queer, recipient of an American Library Award. Guys, don't turn off the radio. Don't don't turn off the podcast. This is an important topic. I know we've been talking about this for years. Some of us have been writing about this for years. Some of our expert guests, Alex Newman, Israel Wayne, Sam Sorbo, Heidi St. John, many, many others. There are some pastors that have warned about what's really going on in our government-run schools. I'm glad parents are now fighting back, but finally... Finally, when it's so bad, the the school system is irredeemable. It cannot be reformed at this point. So Christian parents, what are you to do? I'm seeing a couple headlines. The NEA agenda, how John Dewey and socialism influenced public education. Another headline, according to the left, children belong to the government and parents are just in the way. Another headline over at Mission America and the great work Linda Harvey does in Ohio. Social-emotional learning, a red flag for concerned parents. So why? Why are we just now waking up? Public schools are not teaching the truth about the Chinese Communist Party, about true history in America, about radical Islam. They've taken God out, removed the biblical worldview in the 1960s. But even before that, the ground had to be prepped for them to remove the biblical worldview and the Bible and God, the only true living God and the Christian faith from any public schools, government schools in America. Now, that's a blanket statement, I realize. And the problem is a lot of people have been saying, yeah, but I'm in a little town and it hasn't affected my kids. Well, I'm going to say you're wrong. And we're going to talk about some of this today. We're going to talk about some of the history with J.B. Hickson. Now, we had J.B. on last month, and we talked about the death of doctrine, sound doctrine in the church We're taking a different view today of what's going on in our culture, because this does affect Christians. So let me bring in J.B. Hickson, and uh, by the way, what we're going to discuss today is in part because of the death of author and educator Charlotte Iserbit, who worked in the Ronald Reagan administration, was a whistleblower 
on the NEA agenda. We're going to discuss some disturbing history of public education, including the roots of humanism, globalism, socialism, moral relativism, sexual perversion in government schools, and thankfully, more parents are fighting back. But J.B. Hickson, um, not by Works Ministries, do you think it's too late? It's absolutely too late, and as strong as your words are, I, I, I don't uh, think they're strong enough. I mean, it is time for people to realize that the uh, compulsory government schooling system in America, which was intentionally implemented nationwide by 1918 because of the Rockefeller and Carnegie influence on uh, that institution, just the same way they influenced uh, the medical industry, uh, and uh, it is, uh, it is, you know, it's a lost cause. They are intentionally mind-controlling and brainwashing our children, and it's time for Christian parents to wake up. Mm. Well, today we're going to get your pastor's perspective on uh, the education, and uh, we can go back to Deuteronomy and, and so many other verses that really share how at that time, the, the children of Israel, the Jews, and also how Christians are to raise their kids on the Word of God. Talk about it day and night. Meditate on the Word. Think about it when you get up, when you go about their day, when you lie down. Uh, it says, instruct your children. But here, let me read a quote from, uh, you know, there's so much I have to get to, JB, but before we do that, I'm not going to uh, read that quote I, was, I had in mind. Maybe later. I want to let you open up this podcast by describing um, Charlotte Isabet and her work, and of course, a massive book, 743-page book that she wrote, The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America, a chronological paper trail, came out in 1999, and I'll let you just uh, share your thoughts right off the top. Yeah, so Charlotte Isserby, uh is a uh, is a just a phenomenal hero and whistleblower, and uh, she really had a, a, an impact on uh, my family's life. Uh, my wife and I really benefited from her books. Uh, she wrote uh, several books, but of course her magnum opus was called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. But she passed away uh, last week, February 8th, at the age of 91. I never had the privilege of meeting her, but I did speak at conferences where she spoke, although we never shared the platform uh, together. But uh, Charlotte Isserby exposed the role of the federal government in advancing that to Rockefeller Carnegie progressive socialist agenda uh, that you've been talking about. Um, basically, uh, they believe that uh, people are just mindless animals here to serve the dictates of the initiated elite. And uh, she went to Washington, D.C. Uh, in 1980 as part of the Reagan Revolution. Uh, you remember that after Carter uh, lost that election and, and it was supposed to be this big conservative swing. Uh, she was Reagan's senior policy advisor in the Office of Educational Research and Improvement, which was part of the Department of Education. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Education at that time was still in its infancy. Remember, uh, Carter's the one who established uh, the Department of Ed. Yes. And uh, uh, she had hoped, Isabi had hoped to steer America uh, in a more conservative direction, but she was disheartened when she got in and discovered federally a federally funded grant uh, as part of the USDE uh, entitled Better Education Skills Through Technology, B-E-S-T, or Project BEST, it was called. And one of the uh, sections in that uh, uh, grant was labeled, What We, the, the U.S. Department of Education, 
can control and manipulate at the local level. Hmm. And she was horrified as she read through that, and she realized that the conspiracy was much larger than she <clears throat> than she could have ever imagined, and that it included both Republicans and Democrats. So after she leaked that document to Human Events, which was an American a conservative political newspaper, uh, she was fired. She was removed from her post by Reagan. Uh, but she was a, a whistleblower, a patriot. Um, one of her other books that I think has really been profound, and, and they ought to all be on every Christian's uh, bookshelf, mm-hmm. but uh, her book um, our, uh, on OBE, Outcome-Based Education, which she called Our Brains Are Empty, is what she <laughs> said that stood for. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to know where critical race theory and transgender indoctrination or common core or no child left behind or other, you know, Skinnerian progressive ideas came from. Uh, just look no further than the Department of Education and really the founding of the American education system in the early uh, 20th century. Um, I mean, their, their goal was to re-engineer society, starting with our youngest citizens. The Luciferians knew that if they could get Americans to subcontract out the raising of their children for eight hours a day, five days a week for 13 years, they would dramatically alter our culture. And and they were right. And, uh, uh, you know, David, you're old enough to remember, I am too, that when Reagan, I mean, when Carter uh, created the Department of Education, Republicans railed against him. In fact, listen to this, Ronald Reagan made the abolishment of the newly created Department of Education part of his campaign platform. He promised, quote, this is from the Republican platform in 1980, quote, next to religious training and the home, education is the most important means by which families hand down to each new generation their ideals and beliefs. It is a pillar of a free society. But today, parents are losing control of their children's schooling. This is 40 years ago. The Republican Party supports deregulation by the federal government of public education and encourages the elimination of Mm. the federal department of education. Now, once Reagan got elected, not only did he not abolish the department of education, but he increased funding for it by 50% over the next eight years. See, it's, it's not about the left-right paradigm. That's why, a fake-out. That's a head fake. Why do you think that uh, is? Well, do you think that was because he saw how popular and how powerful the NEA is and the teachers' unions? No, I think it's because it's not about right and left. It's not about Republican-Democrat. They're mm-hmm. all puppets. They're, they're controlled by the Luciferian conspiracy, as I've talked about many times and written about. And my new book, by the way, Spirit of the Antichrist, is out, due out April 1st, and we have multiple chapters about this. But... Um, you know, Reagan, uh, whether whether he really believed his platform when he was campaigning and then he realized when he got in that he was controlled, which, of course, three months after he got in, they shot him to remind him who's really in charge. Mm. But or whether he was just, you know, doing whatever it took to get elected. I don't know. This The facts speak for themselves. We We don't always know why they do what they do. But anybody that thinks that you know, these Republican revolutions, whether it's the Gingrich revolution, the Reagan revolution, the Tea Party revolution, you name the Trump revolution, I mean, are going to change anything. Uh, is just not acquainted with reality, in my view. Well, J.B., I do want to mention, and I'm not going to um, defend the Republican Party, but it's no coincidence that in every presidential election since Jimmy Carter, 
created the USDE, the U.S. Department of Education. The NEA has endorsed or supported only Democrat candidates. And today the Department of Education has, I mean, I mean, possibly 20,000 employees, well over 17,000, and they have an annual budget of $68.1 billion. Actually, that was, this is old news. This is, I'm sorry, that it's way over that now. They have a massive budget. So the money does talk, and you mentioned that, of course, Carter created the U.S. Department of Education, but let's go back because there, were, there was poison in the water, so to speak. Uh, the system of education, so-called, had been infested way or infected way, way, way before the 1970s. So let's go back. You mentioned human events. John Dewey's um, 1916 book, Democracy and Education, made the list uh, on human events as the fifth most harmful book over two centuries. The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx was first on the list. Hitler's Mein Kampf was number two. And John Dewey made the list of, on his book, Democracy and Education, as one of the most harmful. That was the in 2005, this human events uh, list. So what did Dewey believe? I know we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but he once said, you can't make socialists out of individualists. Children who know how to think for themselves spoil the harmony of the collective society, which is coming, where everyone is interdependent. And, of course, Dewey was the first honorary president of the NEA and a major influence on school curriculum. So share us a little bit of history going back. That this is, We're talking about the 1930s now. Yeah, and actually, uh, I you know I I've got a lot to say about Dewey, but <laughs> we can go back a little bit before him just to set the stage. Sure, um, back into the 19th century, and you know we were just talking about the fake left right paradigm. Uh, Robert Louis Dabney was a Presbyterian pastor uh, during the Civil War, and uh, he uh, he he said this. He he really he he was always uh, befuddled by the fact that the conservatives would never really do anything. Their their bark was worse than their bite. And this is what he said, quote, this is a party which never conserves anything. Its history has been that it demurs to each aggression of the progressive party and aims to save its credit by a respectable amount of growling, but always acquiesces at the last in the innovation. In other words, they their platform may say one thing, uh, but, you know, this is nothing new, as we've been talking about. The stuff that you played at the beginning of this program, mm-hmm. as horrific as it is, this isn't new. No. It's been around for decades, and the Republicans have talked about it before. It's just kind of rising once again to the surface. And anybody that thinks if we could just elect a bunch of Republicans that we'll solve this problem is, is missing the point. But John Dewey, uh, I mean, as you said, he was really the, the, the kind of the guiding light uh, of the whole progressive education movement intentionally trying to to take over the minds of our of our kil- uh, children and um, his essay uh, which kind of set the stage and started the direction which was published in 1898 the primary education fetish uh, and it was like the blueprint um, and uh, he said quote the plea for the predominance of learning to read in early school life because of the great importance attaching to literature seems to me a perversion. Mm. In other words, don't let these children read classical education, you know, the way you normally did. You sat in a schoolroom and you read. You read the classics. You read the greats. You read the American statesmen. Now, don't let them do that, he says. Um, 
change must come gradually to force it unduly would be to compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. What is needed in the first place is that there should be a full and frank statement of conviction with regard to the matter from physiologists and psychologists and from those school administrators who are conscious of the evils of the present regime. In other words, you know, deceiving parents has to be an important and implicit part of this plan for radical reform. And psychologists, which Dewey, if you remember, was a psychologist, mm. uh, played an important role right from the inception. And I can tell you all kinds of stories of people that I've heard from as a pastor and as, uh, you know, leading Not By Works Ministries. People come up to me after I speak and say, you know, the counselors at my son or my daughter's school, they, they pulled him aside without me even knowing it. And they were talking about how he really needed to be in touch with his feminine side and he should recognize that maybe he's really a girl. And, you know, this is all happening because of this, you know, psycho heresy that, uh, you know, that, the, that Dewey started. Um, and he called the uh, schools experiment stations, and um, you know th- they were supported, as I said, from intentionally from the beginning uh, by the uh, Luciferian Carnegie and Rockefeller foundations, who, you know, along with their other co-conspirators, to try to usher in a one-world socialist system, mm-hmm. uh, set about uh, changing uh, the direction. They did the same thing with the medical industry. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be about holistic, uh, you know, medicine. Now it's about you know, drugs and, and pharmacia. So, J.B., uh, we decided to go in this direction today. Not only is education a hot topic, as it always is, but today more than ever in America. But uh, Charlotte Isabee, of course, died last week, and she was an icon. Um, I wrote about her about 11 or 12 years ago in my book, Eradicate. And I just want to share a excerpt from that and get your response. Um, she, In the preface to her book, Israby said the United States is fighting a secret war in the public schools in which children are captive targets. It is a war most Americans, especially parents, are ignorant about. This war has been waged not by a foreign enemy, but by our own government. And it produces, quote, the death of intellect and freedom. She said traveling and spending a decade in Europe's socialist countries changed her life because upon returning to the U.S., she realized, quote, America's transition from a sovereign constitutional republic to a socialist democracy would come about through government implementation of the system at every level, federal, state, and local. The use of behavior modification would be used in schools to promote acceptance of the system's control. And she wrote that regardless of the changing labels, critical thinking— well, let me just stop right there and mention that in 1973, she was gathering these documents. If you're wondering how she began as a resistor, she placed the first document in her education files in 1973 after an invasive questionnaire came home with her fourth-grade son from school. That's when she started raising red flags. That's when she started collecting, I mean, I think thousands of pages that she copied from the Department of Education. And, J.B., we just got have a minute and a half. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. But just your brief response. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I loved her, is that she wasn't just a whistleblower. 
she was a mom and, a, and an activist. Mm-hmm. And like so many today that are, are finally speaking out, uh, she she recognized uh, the dangers of it. But just a, a couple of quotes uh, before we go to break here that, again, show that validate what she's saying about this longstanding agenda. Uh, James G. Carter was one of the early framers of American public education, and he said, quote, a state-controlled teacher's college can be an engine to sway the public sentiment, the public morals, and the public religion more powerful than any other in the possession of government. Mm. And then in the Humanist magazine, John Dunphy wrote an article titled, A Religion for a New Age, and he unashamedly asserted, quote, the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity that will replace the rotting corpse of Christianity. Uh, this is what uh, this is what they've been wanting. That's why Joe Sobern, the late Joe Sobern, who used to write for National Review, he said, "Quote: Public schools are liberalism's reproductive system. That's what they are." Mm. And it's true. And we're going to ask this question and try to answer this briefly when we come back. How does a public employee union continue to receive federal funding while it openly supports? Only one political party. Aren't they supposed to be nonpartisan? Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about that, but we'll also talk about following the money. And even Thomas Jefferson had something to say about compelling a man to uh, pay forced taxes. More with J.B. Hicks and when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo. J.B. Hickson is my guest today. We're getting a pastor's perspective on education, and I know the pulpits don't really touch on this issue, the education of our children. They try to do their best, whoever's the youth leader or Sunday school leader at churches on Sunday mornings across America, but do you think an hour is enough? And what are they teaching at uh, churches? Is that going to be enough to help kids um, maintain that biblical worldview when they go out into the world, into the lion's den or the wolf's den um, in the public school system. But I've got a timeline of a lot of events throughout the years in the uh, national uh, education uh, system. Also, I've got uh, some information on Common Core. We've been years ago, we, we talked about that. We warned about that. Of course, it was implemented and laid out and unleashed on America. But I want to go back. We asked, how, does, how do these teachers unions, they're, they're public employee unions, they receive federal funding, the government school system does, and yet it is antichrist. And you know what I mean by that, friends. It is against the biblical worldview. It, it is amazing that uh, parents have continued to tolerate this, and pastors, and you know Christians in general. But tens of millions of dollars are distributed every year going to political campaigns. Don't we pay attention to that? Uh, Thomas Jefferson had something to say about this. And, and my, I have had friends that have resigned or retired from being teachers because they didn't want their, their, their dues— uh, going to the Democrat Party because they're funding things like Planned Parenthood and hypersexualized education and curriculum, other things. So Thomas Jefferson said to compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. So let's go back to 2008, JB. And I, I just want to quote, Just this is just out in the open now. The recipients that benefit from the national... Education Association funding, meaning they scratch each other's backs, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, 
Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, GLAD, Democratic Leadership Council, Sierra Club, Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition, Media Matters for America, Center for American Progress, National Council of La Raza, Amnesty International, the now defunct ACORN was receiving a lot of money from the public schools, uh, Women's Voices, Women Vote, NAACP, Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, American Rights at Work, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center, Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, and many others. Before I quote their lawyer, when he retired at a convention, you'll be shocked, friends, by what he actually said. JB, your response to that? There's, it's clear you can follow the money trail of all, where all this money is going to radical leftist groups, anti-American, anti-Christian groups, and it's coming from the teachers' unions, and uh, people haven't raised enough red flags or awareness about this. Yeah, and it's by design. And again, uh, I don't think raising red flags is going to change anything because we're not in control. We've got to get our kids out uh, of, of that. And by the way, going back to 2008, the Obama era, remember, I'm sure you remember the name Kevin Jennings. Yes. Uh, he, was, he was Obama's assistant deputy secretary of education. He wrote the foreword uh, for the teacher's instruction book called, quote, Queering Elementary Education. Yes. Advancing the dialogue about sexualities and schooling with kindergartners. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, uh, again, not that it's a, a Democrat Republican issue. It's, it is a money issue, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a it's not something that you're just going to be able to legislate out of existence. The tentacles of influence are are far too deep. And, you know, a lot of parents, uh, as you kind of mentioned at the outset, say, well, you know, not my school or not my child. Yeah. And, you know, it, it occurs to me that the problem with the uh, compulsory government schooling system is, is a lot like uh, the dangers of carbon monoxide. You know, you can't smell it, you can't see it, you can't touch it, uh, but it's there and it'll kill you. And if you look, if you look in the right places and you, and you, you know, have the right equipment and you actually do some investigation, you can find carbon monoxide. They make carbon monoxide detectors. Hmm. But uh, the problem is most parents aren't looking to, for these evils in their public school. And so every day their children are sitting in the classroom, breathing it in, and uh, it's going to have disastrous effects. It already is. Yes. It already is. We're seeing that. And what what is what, some of the fruit of that? Um, can, if moral, relativism, moral relativism, which leads to confusion in young children about who they are, how they were created, their purpose in life, and the suicide, at least the suicide attempt rates, are off the charts, charts historic in our country for young children and teenagers. But, J.B., I want to go back to Bob Channon, the lawyer for the National Education Association who retired um, 2008, 2009, and I watched this speech. I'm sure it's probably still available on YouTube, but um, he was uh, speaking at a convention in San Diego, the NEA convention that year, and he gave his goodbye pep talk, and he focused primarily on money, power, and control. He said, quote, why are these conservative and right-wing, beep, I'm bleeping that out, picking on, picking on NEA and its affiliates? I'll tell you why. It's the price we pay for success. NEA and its affiliates are the nation's leading advocates for public education and the type of liberal, social, and economic agenda that these groups find unacceptable. And that brings me to my final most important point. He said, NEA and its affiliates are such effective advocates. 
despite what some among us would like to believe. It's not because of our creative ideas. It's not because of the merit of our positions. It is not because we care about children. And it is not because we have a vision of a great public school for every child. NEA and its affiliates are effective advocates because we have power. Yep. Very telling. And we have power because there are more than 3.2 million people who are, and this was 10 years ago, who he said this way back in 2009, more than that. One, uh, 3.2 million people who are willing to pay us hundreds of millions in dues each year. Um, I'm not sure about willing because a lot of teachers probably don't go along with the agenda. But, JB, this is their lawyer coming right out and saying it's not about the children. It's not about education. It is about power. Yeah, and back in 1983, remember Peter Hoagland, uh, who was a Nebraska uh, senator, Mm -hmm. uh, said in a radio address, quote, Bible-believing people do not have the right to indoctrinate their children in their religious beliefs because we, the state, are preparing them for when America will be part of a one-world global society and their children will not fit in. Mm, you know, wow. this is what their plan has been all along. I just I can't emphasize that enough. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person and every single department and every single you know textbook you know necessarily, although most of the textbooks are controlled, uh, is part of this conspiracy. Uh, but the big picture, and that's what Charlotte Isserby discovered, mm-hmm. uh, is when you when you start at the top and recognize the tentacles of influence uh it you know it it's really i mean it's as clear as day mm-hmm. and uh, you know you talked about uh the money I, you know my good friend I, I know he's been on your show before i think i uh, introduced you to him um uh the creation scientist uh russ miller mm-hmm. he he talks about following the money and showing how much money uh the schools get and then dividing that by the number of you know children in the classroom, and you end up with like a three hundred some odd thousand dollar surplus per child. And you have to ask, where does that money go? Hmm. I mean, what are they using that money for? I'll tell you where it's going. It's going to all the things you just listed off. Yeah, you know, a moment ago. Well, let me go back to now. Uh, you mentioned that representative. I'm, I'm guessing he was a Democrat uh, decades ago. Well, let's go way back and. Uh, quote a few founding fathers. What was their view on education? We know what the Bible teaches. Well, how about our founders in America? Noah Webster said, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Now, we could quote many, many other founders and, and many early American patriots and presidents from John Adams to Washington, Jefferson, uh, Benjamin Rush has some outstanding quotes. Uh, JB, just your thoughts on how radically things have shifted compared to our representatives today. Well, that's the point, is that was all back in the you know mid-18th century, and uh, by the way, I'm going to be presenting an, an alternate view of that at uh, the Tulsa Mid-America Bar- Prophecy Conference in May. I'm speaking twice, and they've asked me to speak on uh, the fingerprints of God in the founding of America and the fingerprints of Satan in Ooh, the founding of America. And, interesting. and so we can absolutely cherry-pick a few quotes from the founding fathers that make it sound like they were all 
godly Christians, but that was the milieu of the time. Everybody mm. talked about God and providence, and yes. they were just saying what needed to be said, the same way Reagan was saying what needed to be said to get elected in 1980. So we can't really, uh, we can't, we have to be careful about uh, elevating certain people in certain time periods to, uh, you know, as representing an overall viewpoint, because this this conspiracy to control the minds of our children as part of a larger attempt by Satan to take over the world and usher in the one world system, which, by the way, the Bible clearly teaches. So this isn't just evidence from history. This is God's Word telling us that we are marching towards a one-world system. Yes. Um, but it all it, it goes back about that same time, you know, the early 19th century, to guys like Horace Mann. Mm-hmm. And he's known as the father of public education and from Massachusetts. Um and uh, he simply was following the ideas of the Prussians from the 18th century, the same time as a lot of our founding fathers uh, were, uh, you know, living and uh, trying to implement it uh, here. A horseman said, we who are engaged in the sacred cause of education are entitled to look upon all parents as having given hostages to our cause. I mean, that, that's the way they wow. view our, our kids. You know, uh, it's all about you know, behaviorism. I mentioned B.F. Skinner, but he was a he was a behaviorist uh, like uh, uh, John B. Watson, one of his uh, contemporaries. And John Watson, in his book uh, called Behaviorism in 1924, wrote, human beings do not want to class themselves with other animals. In other words, we don't want to, but we really should. They're willing to admit that they are animals, but something else in addition. It is this something else that causes the trouble. The fact that that we think we're made in the image of God and have a soul is really troubling to these uh, humanists, you know, atheists. Um, he said this something else is bound up in everything that is classed as religion, the life hereafter, morals, love of children, parents, hmm. country, and the like. The raw fact that you, as a psychologist, if you are to remain scientific, must describe the behavior of man in no other terms than those you would use describing the behavior of the ox you slaughter drove and still drives many timid souls away from behaviorism. Mm. So they look at our kids as a bunch of useless breeders. Yep. They're going to weed them out, and then they're going to have the ones that are uh, obedient, dutiful little students be the workers in the factories of the elite. And I want to go back to the idea of what parents were really upset about at the very beginning of this podcast, that clip we played. I... My heart goes out to these parents who are just now finding this out, JB, and I know yours does too, because we've been trying to sound the alarm on this godless system that uh, really the government has really demolished um, the, the true system of education and made it what it is now, this system of globalism and, and uh, against God, anti-God. But I want to just share something about the agenda it's not just the sexualized agenda that that would cause them to go into the lgbtq and those lifestyles but remember planned parenthood there's a hyper sexualized experiment go ahead and have sex and then some parents go well i'm glad that some schools are handing out condoms because kids are going to do it anyway right well that mentality is dangerous and i want to read to you what planned parenthood's agenda looks like first of all dupe the public into believing their main goal is women's health services, lobby for increased federal funding through American taxpayers, and re-elect pro-abortion Democrat representatives. But here's the key. Influence public schools and curriculums with the help of the NEA. 
get young kids and teenagers addicted to sex and encourage experimentation, sell them birth control, and when kids catch a sexually transmitted disease, sell them testing services. And then when a young girl gets pregnant, sell her an abortion. Wash, rinse, repeat. This is part of the agenda to get our kids to take them away and to damage them. And JB, it's 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 sad, really, what we're sharing today. I know we've talked about these things before, but uh, your thoughts on the sexual aspect of trying to really rob children of their innocence. Yeah, I mean, if we're all just animals like they believe, then they want us to act with animalistic, uh, you know, instincts. And that goes back to B.F. Skinner's theory of radical behaviorism. Mm. He wrote this in 1974, and he basically said that, you know, humans were controlled by various responses to external stimuli only. They have no moral compass. They have no conscience. There's no such thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's this Pavlovian dog type uh, mentality. But uh, G. Stanley Hall was the first president of the American Psychological Association, and he believed that children were at varying levels of evolution and that uh, he needed to apply that to public education. So he's the one that suggested uh, dividing children by age rather than their abilities. I mean, think about it. In what other context of life do mm. you ever find yourself surrounded only by people of the same age? Hmm. Never. Wow. Never. If we're going to educate our children, we need to go back to the way it was before compulsory government schooling and put them around adults, let them learn in the field or learn from other older children and study the Bible and read the classics. And they were all in a one-room schoolhouse. And, 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 but if you're going to control their minds, you got to separate them, segregate them, and treat them like a bunch of herded cattle. And that's what they did. So we've got a minute and a half here, JB, and uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Rockefellers, uh, UNESCO, uh, talk about some of the bullet points, some of the, really the timeline here that we're, as we go through the decades in the 1900s, um, Julian Huxley is going to make that timeline and, and others, mm-hmm. but I want to just share something from 1976 before we take a break. There was an NEA program called A Declaration of Interdependence. Education for a Global Community. It was made available to schools across the country, and the report said this, quote, educators around the world, now this was 1976, are in a unique position to help bring about a harmoniously interdependent global community. This was part of the emphasis in the America's National Education Association program in 1976. So the curriculum then, of course, led to Common Core. How did that come about? Well, they were talking clearly in 1985, the NEA was, about the development of a, quote, world core curriculum based on knowledge that will ensure, quote, peaceful and cooperative existence among the human species on this planet. Uh, JB, brief comment before we take a break. Yeah, I mean, it's not just Common Core. We need to understand that Common Core was just the latest label. Yes. Uh, Republicans called it No Child Left Behind, but it was the same underlying (laughs) principle. Yes. Amen. Thank you for clarifying that. And we are going to go back and look at some of the events on the timeline. And we'll quote some more people just so you guys can get a better understanding of some of the history of the decline of education, that it has been on purpose. We call it an agenda. And we've got so much more in the next segment with J.B. Hickson on Stand Up For The Truth. And remember to check out Charlotte Charlotte Isserby's 
uh, site, The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. We'll link to that in the podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com today. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. The topic today, it's a hard one, friends, and it's its just gotten to the point where we, we can't ignore this any longer. So that's why we're speaking about this. Uh, we're declaring the truth. We're trying to be passionate and straightforward with you. Um, I know some people won't like it, but uh, JB, we've got to keep plowing forward here. We've got about 15 minutes left um, a little less than that, but you've got a quote you wanted to share, and we'll springboard from that. Yeah, so I've I've used this often in my uh, you know speaking engagements. Uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci famously said, "There are some people who will see, some people see when they're shown, and some people never see." Mm. And I think parents really right now need to ask themselves, which one are you? Uh, it's it's understandable if you like my wife and I. You know, we have six children. Our oldest daughter uh, was in public kindergarten, and uh, but for a variety of reasons, we became exposed to this and have grown in our understanding and knowledge of it over the you know 20 years since. Uh, but we pulled her out, and then we've homeschooled our children uh, ever since, um, including our youngest, who one's graduating from a, a homeschool co-op uh, this May, and then our youngest is 13. And so. Um, not that we're the example, but I'm saying we understand because we we were deceived as well. Uh, and um, but when we recognized the truth, uh, we made the hard decision, and it has been hard. I mean, anybody who's homeschooled understands there are sacrifices you yes. make uh, financially, time wise. Uh, there are struggles, um, you know. Uh, but uh, it's it's the right thing to do. And so, um, I mean, it's it is desperate and. Uh, I, I think like in, in every other arena of our world, things are heating up. We see the stage being set. Um, I mean, the election in, in 2020 obviously should have been a huge uh, shot across the bow for people who weren't aware of what's going on. Mm. Um, you, you know, we, it's, a, it's a society now where even the elections are controlled. Mm. And uh, so it's time to circle the wagons, bring, bring the kids home, begin to teach them uh, the truth and the Word of God and prepare them for uh, what's to come. You know, 90% of Christian young people depart from the faith when they go off to college. 90%. That's from a Barna study. So, wow. uh, I, I mean, why is that? Well, it's mm. because, you know, one hour a week in, in Sunday school or church is never going to compete, you know, with 40 hours a week in a pagan, uh, humanistic, secular culture. Uh, it's a losing battle. So uh, now there are exceptions. Obviously, we we all know of godly, God fearing young people. There's that ten percent, you know, um, <laughs> that that can stand against this and resist it because they are well grounded in the Word of God. But do you really want to roll the dice? Do you want to bet against the ninety percent? I mean, it's time to to take action. And uh, you know, we see so much hypocrisy as it relates to the Christian worldview the biblical worldview in the schools, mm. because the, 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 this, you know, psychological approach that we've talked about from Skinner and all, all of them, Dewey and Horace Mann and all of those from the very beginning, um, basically says, uh, let them do whatever they want. Like you read the quote from Planned Parenthood, uh, positive reinforcement, like the Pavlonian approach, uh, don't ever discipline. They took discipline completely out of the schools. And yet when a Christian teacher stands up and speaks on principle and from conscience. They don't, you know, 
cease to discipline them. They don't only reward them with, for all the good things they're doing. Man, they throw the book at them and fire them and kick them out. Mm. So it just shows you there's an agenda. Yes. You know, they're not, they're not even consistent with their own pagan worldview. That's right. And before we go back and look at a couple bullet points I documented several, many years ago, actually, including one uh, with the Carnegie Foundation, and I want to want you to share your thoughts on the Rockefellers, but I want to just name a recent article by Ken Ham. Uh, according to the left, children belong to the government and parents are just in the way. And I want to quote, before I quote Ken Ham, if you guys have been paying attention to the news recently in this battle in the public schools here, the, uh, the a Michigan Democrat Party, uh, someone said this, not sure where this parents should control what is taught in school because they are our kids is originating. But parents do have the option to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire. So, JB, this is their attitude. Well, if you don't like the public schools, send your kids to somewhere else. Anyway, that's a whole other topic of whether we parents who homeschool should also be paying taxes to the public school. That's been a fight, too. But this is their attitude. So Ken Ham, at the end of the article, I'll just read how he concluded it. According to Scripture, children are gift to parents— for parents to raise them in the Lord. Children are to obey their parents. It is not the government's job to raise or disciple children. Children do belong to their parents. Our culture's drift from a biblical worldview has massive real-world consequences, and one of those is the growing view that children belong to the government and parents are just in the way of raising little secularists who will grow up to support the prevailing religion of the day. How long before this thinking becomes legislature? Having a biblical worldview matters. Uh, JB, go ahead and share your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, he's spot on. Um, You know, there are foundational, if you believe the Bible, there are foundational God-ordained institutions that go all the way back to Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11. Hmm. It starts with the God-man relationship when God created Adam, then the husband-wife relationship when God created Eve, then the parent-child relationship comes third uh, when they had children, and you don't get to the government institution until much later, mm-hmm. you know, after the flood. And so um, the order of priorities there is critical. Uh, we have a responsibility for our children, not the state. Remember Hillary Clinton famously said, it takes a village, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, we've seen the village, and I don't think we really want it raising our children. <laughs> uh, we want to raise our children uh, ourselves through uh, God's uh, Word. But, you know, this is what they've been, you know, doing all along. Another key name to know in this uh, the history yes. of how we got to where we are today is uh, Antonio Gramsci. Yes. A neo-Marxist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was an Italian Marxist. And, his his famous theory was called cultural hegemony, mm-hmm. uh, which describes how the state and ruling capitalist class, the bourgeois, use cultural institutions like public education to maintain power. Uh, they they have to main, gain and maintain their power. He thought through ideology rather than violence and force and coercion. Um, so they, they propagate their own values and norms so that they become the accepted norm. And that's exactly what's happened. And, and you know, to think that, you know, a hundred years into this 
grand experiment, as they all call it, uh, you know, because it started again. It's, it, the roots of it go way back to the 18th and early 19th centuries. But it officially began in 1918 when by that time all 50 states or all states in the union had compulsory government schooling. Mm. And it's been that way ever since. So, yes. you know, parents just cart their kids off um, on the yellow paddy wagons and send them to this uh, control center. And they wonder why, you know, when they turn 18, they, they come out uh, with different views than what they've been uh, teaching them at home. So, JB, I know you've also done a lot of research on the Rockefellers, and I would love for you to share a little bit of that uh, in the context of what we're talking about, the education system and ideas. When we come after when we're done with this, I just want to share a couple bullet points from this timeline Going back to 1905, the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching was founded by Andrew Carnegie and chartered in 1906 by an act of the U.S. Congress. Together with other Carnegie Foundations, it's been a major promoter and funder of socialistic global education projects. 1919, the Institute of International Education was established with a grant from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and John Dewey served on its advisory council. In 1934, a report, uh, Willard Givens, he later was an NEA executive secretary, he wrote this, quote, All of us, including the owners, must be subjected to a large degree of social control. The major function of the school is the social orientation of the individual. It must seek to give him understanding of the transition to a new world order. And I could go through this timeline, but I want, just want to jump up to a John D. Rockefeller who once said, I don't want a nation of thinkers, I want a nation of workers. So, J.B., yeah. whatever's on your heart, we've got uh, five, six minutes left. Yeah, so people need to understand that the Rockefeller and Carnegie uh, dynasties are a huge piece of the puzzle in mm-hmm. understanding the 6,000-year-old Luciferian conspiracy. So I talk about this in the series, Spirit of the Antichrist, those 18 videos, but it's it's going to be expanded in much greater detail in the book that's coming out April 1st. But uh, we need to understand that the Scripture is very clear, going back to passages like Psalms 2, uh, that there is a global conspiracy involving Satan, demons, and human uh, counterparts Mm -hmm. that are trying to take over the world. Satan's wanted this world for his own ever since he got kicked out of heaven. And along the way, uh, they have co-opted certain key Luciferians, and I use that word because that's the way they describe themselves, such as the Rockefellers and Carnegie. So we're talking about the public education system, but they have had profound influence in many other areas, industry, medicine. You know, it was the Carnegie Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation that completely uh, changed uh, the whole role and ideals behind medicine back at about the same time in the early 20th century. What did they do? They they placed their puppets on boards by giving donations. We'll give you this this endowment if you'll let us kind of recommend who we want to be on your boards. And then it didn't take long where they had the boards controlled, and the boards controlled the faculty members. The faculty members control what's taught in the classroom. And voila, within a generation, you've got an entire group of medical doctors that think you've got to write a script and cut with a scalpel instead of helping people, uh, you know, handle their their natural, uh, the bodies through natural means. Mm. And so the, the, the education industry is the same way. And they 
they could they bought out the textbook companies they provided yes. incredible funds for you know political action committees yep. and uh in washington dc they pretty much created think tank row there uh in washington dc with things like the brookings institution and you mentioned other other groups like unesco so it's all all roads lead back through the the the, the rockefellers and carnegies and yes but most people have no idea no and i want to wrap up um before we close here jb with just some scripture from Psalm 78, I believe is applicable. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders which he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's from Psalm 78. JB, your closing thought. Yeah, Ephesians 6, 4, you know, it's parents' responsibility to raise their children and bring them up in the Lord. It's their duty to educate them, Deuteronomy 6, you've already talked about that. Um, and, you know, parents just need to understand that the public school system is, by its own definition, a pagan institution. I mean, would you send your children to a Muslim indoctrination school? Uh, I mean, what's the difference? Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand we've said some hard things, but yes. uh, there's re- there are resources out there. People can reach out to us at Not By Works. We'd be glad to pray with you, talk with you, and, uh, you know, uh, just thankful for the chance to sound this along. Praise God, JB. Thank you for being a part of this. And again, guys, look up some history on Charlotte Iserby. We'll have a link on uh, standupforthetruth.com today. Um, Monday, we speak with Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, and he's got a book out called When Faith is Forbidden. And then on Tuesday, we've got Rusty Thomas about abolishing abortion. He's with Elijah Ministries. Wednesday, you'll hear from Carl Teichrib. Thursday, Natasha Crane is back with us, and she's got a brand new book. And you're going to want to hear that interview. If you liked the one yesterday with Elisa Childers, you'll love Natasha Crane. And we've got to wrap it up, guys. God bless you. Thanks so much again for sharing the podcast. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.